The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. So here's what I want to do. I asked a couple of the musicians to stay up here because I'm going to need their help, okay? Can you get, do you have any game show music in you? Can, you're thinking, the wheels are turning. If it's circus music, it's okay, I'll take that. That's not too far off, right? Something that just says fiasco at church, and that would be nice. Give me a minute is what I get there. All right. Or a warning, that's true. Well, somebody help me out. Like, let's help her out. Now, keep doing what you're doing, but don't play yet. So somebody out here, give, give her some ideas. What would game show music sound like? Probably, well, yeah, I'm not asking you to take I'm asking you to sing it, not tell me the game show. There we go. We've got that. Yeah, that's good. Anybody else? You got that? Hey, that's good. That's not really music, though, is it? That's a beat. That's, that's cool. You can't help. Now we're all... That'll work. Huh? I like it. It makes me want to say, no whammies, no whammies, no whammies, stop! Do you remember that? I love that game, man. I, oh, if I was going to be on any game, that was the one, just because those whammies. And they were nasty little creatures. You remember that? No whammies, no whammies, no whammies, stop! All right, ladies and gentlemen, it's time to play the Father's Day fiasco. I'm going to need some volunteers from our audience here. I'm looking for a few dads. You don't have a say in this. I'm going to pick you at random. Uh, Keaton, uh, Isaac, and let's see. I want Rodney Toby. Rodney, Rodney Toby. All right, we got three guys, three dads coming up here. Uh, here's where we're going to be. You can take your positions here, here, and here. You guys can just work out how you're going to be. Now, we're going to go ahead and start today's message. So for those of you who are, yeah, there you go. Yeah, don't break the table. We only have the one table. All right, so those of you who are in our studio audience, I want to encourage you to look up a scripture. Isaiah 68, excuse me, 64, verse 8. Isaiah 64, verse 8. We're going to start the message today. Isaiah 64, verse 8. We've got our contestants up here sweating it out. Are you getting nervous? What do you think we're going to do? No, it's not trivia. Here we go. You feeling good? Okay. Isaiah 64, verse 8. Here's how it reads. But now, O Lord, you are our Father. I want you to say, He's my Father. Yes, yeah. God is our Father. But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you are our potter. All of us are the works of your hands. God is our Father. He's like the potter, and we're like the clay. So here's what I want to do. I've got a few dads up here, and I'm going to ask you to sculpt your kids. There you go. So we got the game show music going. I need a timer here because we can't spend all morning on this, right? How long does it take to sculpt a kid? What do you think? What are you feeling? We don't have that kind of time, people. Here we go. All right, timer set. We're loose around here, so let's give it a good 60 seconds. Now, while they're sculpting, consider that. Consider that passage of Scripture. Consider this. Like, think about this. I know it's hard not to stare at them, but you can listen and stare. I have no problem with that. 
that God's revealed as our Father by that role. Now, God, you're our Father. We're like the clay and you're like the potter. That shows us something about His relationship in our life. He's doing things. It's not like we've decided to get on His team where He is the coach and we are His players, but He is shaping and molding our life in every aspect of our living. Oh, my goodness, are you done already, Rodney? That's... You hold your daughter in the palm of your hand. Look at that. That's not bad. That's not bad. That is, that is an airplane. Were you going for a kid? I figured he, he, he's really high energy, so. Oh, it's, meta, it's metaphoric. It's metaphoric here. So what do you got here, Keaton? This is, that's not bad. That's really great. No, I think it's good, man. You only have one. You got, I'm not making Hey, there you go. Okay, all right, all right. Guys, I... I, I have to make them in scale. I think you did pretty good. Right. I think you did pretty good. All right, guys, give them a hand for their efforts here. And for our musicians, that was a game show beat if there ever was one. Guys, you, thank you for your help there. You did good, man. Thanks. I'm not very artistic either. Oh, I, I beg to differ. I, I beg to differ. It looks like that worked. So I want to consider this as we acknowledge, you know, Father's Day. By the way, happy Father's Day. That being our father is a, is a choice that God has made. I mean, that's really serious. That's an interesting thing to just let your mind wrap around. It's not like somebody identified him as father. Like Jesus just cried out, Abba, and God was like, yeah, I'm okay with that. As if like a grandchild selected the name for a grandparent. I call him Bobo and her Dada. Bobo and Dada are coming over. But he's chosen this. He's chosen to be our father and to have us be his children. It's an incredible thing to let our minds just come into this awareness. And then too, that it would be revealed like that in Isaiah that this is a role that he has opted to have in our lives, that he chose to have this role to shape us and to mold us. That's his desire. That's how he is our father. If we don't allow him to shape us and mold us, then we really have no place calling him Abba. And allowing him to shape us and mold us requires a couple of things. One, it requires us to let him put his hand on our lives. And then it requires us to let him apply pressure where pressure is needed. To simply change the shape of things. And I want to talk about that a little bit this morning. Guys, you did a great job there. The airplane was very nice. Did that start as a kid? It started as a kid and then you're just like, I like airplanes. Yeah, that'll work. Well, I want to get into the word this morning and I want to give a few things that we can look forward to as we get into the word. If you're taking notes, I'd like for you to write these things down. I think this is an awesome thing to do, just to have things to look forward to, to stir anticipation. So if you're taking notes, you can jot this down. The first thing we're going to find is what our kids are. What our kids are. <laughs> what our kids are. <laughs> now, here's the thing. If you don't have any kids, don't worry about it. You are someone's kid, and you're a child of God. So you're going to find out about yourself. I'm going to find out about myself as I find out what my kids are. We're going to find out what kids are, what children are. A second thing that we're going to find is what your ministry is. I didn't say what ministry is. I said what your ministry is. 
And I'll give you a little clue. It's the same as your neighbor's. It's the same as mine. It's the same as that person sitting behind you that just kicked your stuff. You all have the same ministry. We're going to find out what that is. And then a third thing that we're going to find is how to show or display God's deliverance in your life. That's important. I know that God's done great things in my life. And he's done those great things for a purpose. First and foremost, because he loves me. Like the scripture says, he's turned the curse into a blessing because he loves me. He loves me so much. He loves you so much. But he's also done these great things in our lives to reveal to the world how amazing his love and affection is. How great his power is. Not that he is showing off because he has some sort of an inferiority complex. But he loves to show you off. You're like his favorite kid. And his glory is revealed through your life. We're going to find out how to show God's deliverance. Not just enjoy it or receive the benefit of it, but let the whole world see it. Now we know that God is our Father because of His role in our life to shape it and to mold it. And that's really what I want to talk about. But we're not going to talk about it through the potter's wheel or through clay. We're going to talk about it through some other passages of Scripture. So if you're taking notes, I'd like for you to write this one down. Psalm 127, verses 3 through 5. Psalm 127, verses 3 through 5. Now, I mentioned before we're going to find out what kids are, what our kids are, who we are as someone's kid, what kids are. And I can tell you this passage of Scripture really changed my life as a parent. Psalm 127, verses 3 through 5, it reads like this, Behold, children are a gift from the Lord. I just want to stop right there. That's the part that changed me as a parent. I remember times where selfishness would creep in. I would, I, I got to tell you, I don't know how we survived for the first six months of parenthood. I don't think we slept. We had the two boys, you know, twins. And so one would begin to cry and you would take care of him and you would put him down. And then you would get back in bed and as soon as your head would hit the pillow, you'd be like, okay, this is good. And the other one. And so you're back up and you're taking care of business and you're doing all of these things. And then I remember this awareness because at times my patience would be tested. My body would be tested. Every aspect of my life would be tested by what it would require me to give to see these boys grow up and be healthy and nourished. And I had to make sure that every thought that I would think was filtered through that passage of scripture, just those first few words, these kids are a gift from God and he gives awesome gifts. Even though right now at 3.30 in the morning, it does not feel awesome. These kids are awesome. Being a parent is an amazing thing. I've seen things that I never thought I would see. I've seen Bowel movements that defied physics. You know what I'm talking about. It was like, oh my gosh. How did that happen? Gravity's pulling down, not up. How did that happen? And you get into those situations where it's just nasty. And you know it's nasty. But you've got to keep this mentality that, hey, this is a gift from God. 
And God's doing great things. So children are a gift from God. The fruit of the loom is a reward. Now God goes on to describe it, and this is going to lay the foundation for where we're going with this. Like. Now, I love the word like. Like and as are similes. It means it's making a comparison here. So kids are like. Kids are going to be compared to. Kids are like arrows in the hand of a warrior. So are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be ashamed when they speak of their enemies in the gate. Now, the quiver and all of that stuff really doesn't matter in this situation. We're talking about kids and their purpose and their role. We're talking about parenting specifically on a Father's Day. And as we talk about kids, the word refers to them as arrows. I borrowed this from my son. I was interested to see where he kept it. I asked him, hey, buddy, you got any arrows? He goes, yes, they're in my chest. And I thought, well, that's weird. And then he goes to his room, and he's got this little box that he opens up. I've never called that thing a chest in my life. Where he got that word, I have no idea. And he pulled them out like he just kept storing them there to, you know, fend off bad guys or something. But this item right here, according to the Scripture, and you've got to keep in mind we're talking about the Scripture. We're not talking about, you know, a magazine article or something that is someone's opinion some commentary, we're talking about inspired by the Holy Spirit Word of God, talking about your kids, talking about your life because you're somebody's kid. And it says that it, they're like arrows. I want to talk about arrows for a second because the more that I think about that concept, I can think about what it means to raise kids, what it means to, to pastor and lead and serve people, and what it means to be served and have leaders in my life whether they're biological parents or spiritual parents. And then, once you begin to catch a revelation of that, you become aware of your heavenly Father and what He's doing. Because if my kids are like an arrow in my hands, and I'm His kid, that means I'm like an arrow in His hands. In fact, take this passage of Scripture down, if you would. Isaiah chapter 49, verses 1 and 2. It's speaking about the children of God. And when speaking about God's children, his sons and daughters, it reads like this, The Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother he named me. He made my mouth to be like a sharp sword, and in the shadow of his hand he concealed me. And he has made me a select arrow, and he's hidden me in his quiver. That's referring to Jesus. Jesus is the Son of God. But as sons and daughters, we can apply that same passage to our lives as well. That's the power of the blood. That we've been adopted and our spirit cries out, Abba, Father, we're not subject to slavery and fear. But we're heirs in the kingdom of God. Because He's our Father and we're His children. And according to this, the concept of children being compared to arrows applies even in the heavenly father relationship. So you and I can see our lives as arrows in the hand of God. Now this can help us. It can help me to understand some things that are going on in my life day to day. It can help me to apply certain things to become a better parent. It can help me apply things to become a better leader. It can help me apply many things to simply become more like God in the way that I lead, in the way that I serve, in the way that I give, in the way that I perceive what's going on around me. So I want to talk about the arrow for a moment. 
Now, an arrow is a wonderful tool. I mean, you can take the bow and you can send it from one location to another. But God's not talking about bows. He's just talking about arrows. And the way this works is the arrow is put in position, pressure is applied and pulled back, and then the energy is released and the arrow flies. Now the idea is for the arrow to go somewhere. You thought I was going to shoot that, didn't you? I've done it before. I learned my lesson well. I have frightened people before in church, unfortunately. The idea is to send this to a location, to get it from one place to another. But not just to get it from one place to another, to get it to a specific location, to hit the target that's being aimed at. Now, for me and you, that's our purpose. Your purpose in life, the calling that God's put on your life, the anointing that He's put on your life, the reason for the crucifixion of Jesus Christ as it concerns your life, the reason for the resurrection of Jesus Christ as it concerns your life, the reason for the outpouring of the Holy Ghost as it concerns your life, your purpose. And you're like an arrow in the hand of God that He is sending towards your purpose. Now here's something great about archery. For somebody who is strong and steady, somebody whose vision is good, they can put this thing right on the mark. And there's no better archer than our Heavenly Father. His strength never diminishes. His hands never shake or tremble. And His vision is absolutely perfect. So he can take this arrow and he can put it on the mark every single time. But there's a factor that comes with hitting that bullseye that goes beyond the archer. The archer's strength, the archer's vision, the archer's practice, all of those things lose their effect and potency if the arrow is not straight. I brought the whiteboard down here not to play more Father's Day games. But just to help with the visual. Which one of these arrows do you think would fly straight? The one on the top or the one on the bottom? Yeah. The one on the top is going to fly straight. It has no bend in it. The shaft of that arrow is true. Now the one on the bottom is crooked. It's got a bow in it. So as soon as it leaves the archer's hand, it's going to veer off to the side that it leans toward. And it might not be that big of a bow or, or that... Great of a bend, it can be ever so slight. But the further away from the archer, and the more ground it covers on the way to its purpose, the further off it's going to get. And though that bend could just be slight, by the time it reaches its destination, it could be a great distance from where it was intended to hit. This is me and this is you. We're arrows in the hands of God. I look at my sons, my children, and I realize that their arrows in my hands, that they have a purpose. Oh, it's important for me 
at this point in my life, I really don't live for myself anymore. I live for them. They've now become my purpose. My purpose is finding their purpose and helping them achieve it. And I look at them and I realize there are arrows in my hand. And I can work on being strong. And I can work on having vision. And I can work on my timing and my release to send them straight to the mark. But if I only work on all of that, we could still miss. I need to work on the arrow itself. And I praise God that he's given me at least 18 years to do that. Because those, though those little arrows are super cute and say some funny stuff, they got some spots that are crooked. Just like me and just like you. But then I praise God for the ministry that he's given us, right? I told you we're going to find out what your ministry is, what my ministry is, what our ministry is. Take this down for your notes. I think this is important for us to catch. I want to read a passage of Scripture to you. Now these things are from God who reconciled us to Himself through Jesus Christ. And He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That's what I'd like for you to write down. The ministry of reconciliation. This is what God's given you and given me. If someone were to ask you, what is your ministry? as a Christian, as a believer. Well, we have wonderful giftings and anointings. God has equipped our toolbox with all the gifts of the Holy Ghost. But that ministry that He's called us to, that purpose that He's called us to, is to use those gifts, to use those tools to accomplish reconciliation. That's the ministry that He's given me and the ministry that He's given you. God reconciled us to himself through Jesus and then gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Jesus reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he's committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, can you say therefore? therefore. Now, now, see, this is important that we catch that. Therefore, therefore now, we, that's me and you, are ambassadors for Christ. That means we represent the kingdom of God. Everything that God did in us, now He sent us to go do. It's the reason why Jesus would say, hey, go and freely give as it was freely given to you. That reconciliation that you know from God, now go and provide that for others. Now, I love that passage of Scripture, but unless we know what reconciliation is, it's absolutely meaningless. It just becomes a piece of trivia where if somebody were to ask, hey, what ministry has God given you? You can say reconciliation. And I remember my sons, when they were going to school, they would come home and they would have things memorized. But because they had it memorized, didn't mean they knew it or understood it. Kind of like when we all learned the alphabet, right? A, B, C, D, E, F, G. We knew a song. We couldn't read, but we knew a song. It was a cadence. It was just memorization. So for us to come to an awareness that we have the ministry of reconciliation, I want us to go past memorization where it becomes more than just a piece of trivia locked away in our minds, but I want us to understand what reconciliation is so that we can function and operate in it, so that we can know it when we see it. If you look up the origin of the word, reconciliation, it comes from two parts. Those first letters, R-E, re, like be kind, rewind, right? Re, 
That word re, or that, that portion of a word, it just means to uh, make again. With it, if something's happening again, what does that mean to you? It's happened before. It can't happen again unless it's happened before. If it hasn't happened before, then it's just happening. So we need to understand something about reconciliation. There's something here that has been before. And we can understand the power of this ministry that God's given us by going all the way back to Genesis to see a relationship with God that's one of fellowship, one of provision, one of purpose. When you look at the relationship between God and Adam before the fall, you see a perfect father-son relationship. You see perfect provision made. You see releasing instead of competing. God didn't compete with Adam. He released him. He made all of creation. He said, hey, you take it now. You take it. I trust you. You're capable. Take it. Name them all. Give them good names. I think that Adam got tired naming the animals, you know? That's a big job, right? Because you think about how creative they started. You're thinking about that, right? Like, imagine this huge beast coming before you and you're called to name it and you look at it and you see its giant ears and its trunk and its huge legs and you just say, that is an elephant. You probably look around at the other animals like, that was good, right? Elephant. Then the giraffe comes, you know? And he didn't call it a long neck thing. He looks at it and looks it up and down. He's like... You guys ready for this one? Giraffe. A giraffe. And then I think the day gets long, you know. And by the end of the day, it's like, well, that's a bird and it's blue. It's a bluebird. Yeah. But you see this perfect father-son relationship. There's, there's no fear of punishment. But there's just... Love and affection and purpose revealed and purpose walked in. That's the re that we're getting back to. That's the again. And not just the way it was, but so much more in Jesus. So re, as we look at reconciliation, it means again. Meaning it had to happen before to be again. So re, again. And then that consideration part, that part of the word, means to make consistent. To make consistent. So if I go back to our whiteboard here with these arrows, the shaft of these arrows, which one of them would you say is consistent? The straight one has no turns, no bends. It's absolutely consistent from point A to point B. No variation whatsoever. But the one that's crooked, the one that bends, the one that is twisted, that one is inconsistent. It comes to a point and then it turns. And it comes to a point and it turns back. And then it veers. But God's bringing us to a place again where we have consistency with Him. Consistency with Him. In our father-son relationship. I'm raising my sons to be consistent men. To have convictions in their life that don't change with every temptation. Well, I believe this. But I really believe that. Well, I believe in this, but she's pretty good looking. Well, I believe in this, but that sure seems like fun. Oh, well, I believe in that, but everybody else is over there. 
I want them to be consistent from point A to point B without twist or turn, without slight or bend. And that means working on the arrow. I think it's important for the archer to be a good shot. But it becomes difficult to stay a good shot with a corrupted arrow. By definition, reconciliation reads like this. If you were to pull out the most holy book of Webster's, you would find out reconciliation is defined as the restoration of friendly relations or the action of making something compatible or to make compatible. Through Jesus Christ, God made us compatible with Him. Through the work of Jesus, God reconciled me and you back to Himself. We can get so hung up on being belonging to Jesus that we can miss that Jesus Himself is the means to an end. God, through Jesus, is reconciling you back to Him. God, through Jesus, is reconciling me back to Him so that I can call Him Father, so that I can be His Son, so that He can straighten my life. So that He can put His hand on every bend and apply the proper amount of heat and pressure to straighten it out. It makes us different from the rest of the world when we become straightened. The more that God works on us as the arrows that He sends toward our purpose and our destiny, we stand out from the world. I'd like for you to take down a passage of Scripture. You can write down the point of this if you'd like. It reads like this, Prove yourself blameless and innocent children of God, above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. Here's the point if you want to write it down. We look different than the rest of this world when we're functioning and operating as the children of God. The rest of the world is described as a crooked and perverse generation. Perverse just means crooked, twisted. So the rest of the world has bends and turns. But we look different. We're consistent. We're straight. Meaning when God releases us, we fly true to hit the mark. We don't veer off to the way that we lean. But we move in the direction that He sends us without variation. And there's something that comes for us when we refuse to walk in a crooked way, when we refuse to walk in a perverse way. We come to know the deliverance of God. Because God is sending us in a place of knowing more and more of His power and authority, more and more of His love and affection. And as we move in the direction that He sends us without varying off, without moving away from the path that He sends us on, we see His goodness clearer and clearer. Proverbs 28, 18, it reads like this. He who walks blamelessly will be delivered. But he who walks crooked do you note that? Crooked will fall at once. As a parent, I've begun to apply this understanding into the lives of my sons, and I begin to see more and more how God is doing something in my life. I became so hung up on, and I think the church gets hung up on the same thing as it concerns our relationship with our Heavenly Father. I became so hung up on punishment 
that I didn't see throughout the Scripture the need for discipline. My sons would show crookedness or show something that wasn't straight, it wasn't in line, and my response would be to punish them. And I thought it was a noble thing and a righteous thing, and I would even quote Scripture to justify it. And looking back, I have some regrets. I wished I would have caught some things sooner. I'm hoping that some things are redeemable. But I'm committed to being teachable. Changing the way that I minister to my sons. And then I'm also coming into a greater awareness that God isn't hovering over my life to punish me, but to discipline me. And there's a big difference. I want to give you a couple of passages of Scripture and I want to give you a couple of definitions. Let's start with the definitions. To punish. If we get hung up on the way that you deal with crookedness is punishment. The way that God deals with crookedness is punishment. We're going to miss out on what God is revealing to us. And it's a powerful thing. Punishment by definition means to inflict a penalty in retribution or retaliation. Now as much as I hate to say this, I'm guilty of that. My kids would frustrate me. They would scream when I didn't want them to scream. They would do something that I didn't want. And my actions would be to punish them, meaning it was retaliation. You did this and now you're in trouble. The sad thing is, is that was my perspective of God. For the longest time, as my heavenly father, that he's watching over my life, as long as I stay in line, he's happy with me. But the moment I step out, he's going to punish me. Retribution. Payback time, buddy. That's really what retribution means, to pay back. Now the problem with this is that's actually impossible for God. Punishment was taken out of the way on Jesus Christ. He took the full punishment for all sin. Punishment would be impossible for God concerning my life through Jesus for this reason. Because punishment and fear are connected. And if you want to take down a passage of Scripture for your notes, take this one down. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. It's going to read like this when you look it up. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment. So if fear involves punishment and there's no fear in love, that can tell you there's no punishment in God. Interesting, huh? So what is it that God's doing? How is He straightening out these arrows? And how are we meant to straighten out the arrows that He blesses to our hand? It's discipline. Now we read the definition of punishment. Remember the definition of punishment was to inflict a penalty in retribution or retaliation. Now hear the definition of discipline. You look up discipline in the dictionary and it's an altogether different thing. Discipline. Training that corrects, molds, or perfects the mental faculties or the moral character. Discipline. And I see now throughout the Scripture that that's what God's doing in my life. Just like we read earlier before we played our Father's Day fiasco with the Plato, that God is molding us. That word is used in the definition of discipline. Molding the character. Molding, molding, molding. And this great work that He's doing as He's molding us is working out all of those things that are crooked so that we can fly straight. 
Here's where I went wrong for a long time as it concerned my kids. And I'm glad that I'm not on this path today. And here's where I went wrong as it concerned my relationship with God. Because there were things in my life that I knew were crooked. And I would constantly be asking Him to take them out of my life. But for some reason, they stayed. Can any of you relate to that? Something you've wanted gone. God, take this away. I don't want it. I hate it. It's nasty. I don't like it. Take it away. Take it away. But yet it's still there. To the point where you're asking yourself, does he not hear me? Does he just not care? Am I doing something wrong? But as it concerned my kids, I would see these things in them. And through punishment, retribution, retaliation, even in my verbiage. Have you ever said, hey, cut it out? Yeah, I said that. Hey, cut it out. That was my solution through punishment. Well, if we can't have that curve there, we're going to cut it out. Slowly. (laughs) We're going to cut it out. And then when you cut that out, you're just left with something a little shorter. The problem with something a little shorter, something that's been cut down and cut down all of its life, is it doesn't have any power. You can't put any energy behind it. You're shooting like this instead of like this. It can't go very far because it's been cut down all of its life. And I look at my sons and I think, God forgive me for ever cutting them down. Now I see the things that are crooked in their life aren't meant to be cut out. They're meant to be molded. They're meant to be straightened. Now sometimes we refuse to do that out of laziness because that takes time and consistency. And it's easier just to cut it out. But God's called us and anointed us with the ministry of reconciliation to see the the perversity, the crookedness in the arrow and with time and consistent pressure, boundaries and rules, work it out until it's absolute straight. That's what being a father is. And he's revealing that to us. That's what he's doing in us. You know, God's never cut me down. Never. He's never chewed me out. He's never made me feel inferior or small. His conviction has lifted me up to a place of growth and maturity. Not shamed me to a place of inferiority and impotence. He's not cutting me down, but He is molding me and straightening me out. Now I remember when my sons were younger, one of them was doing something he was not supposed to do. And it was at a time when I was coming into an awareness of the difference between discipline and punishment. And I stepped up to deal with his rebellion. And he was young. I, he had to be two or three. And as I walked up to him, he, he knew that he was doing something wrong and he knew that he wasn't going to be allowed to continue to do that. And I looked at him and I called him by name and he looked at me and he did this. Did you see that? It's subtle. I'm going to do it again. You ready? Like, do your worst, old man. Now, something was provoked in me immediately. This desire to bring retribution. 
But I understood something immediately. That is the greatest and most terrible thing I've ever seen in my life. Unredeemed, that ends up in prison. But redeemed, that brings down Goliath. Unredeemed, that's nothing but trouble, heartache, sorrow, poverty, loss. But redeemed, that expands the kingdom of God in the face of all evil and darkness. And it is not my job as a father to cut that out. It's my job to mold that and straighten it out. So I look for a vocabulary change now. Instead of, hey, cut that out. Say, straighten out. Straighten out. We're going to straighten that out. Because those qualities that are in our sons, our daughters, those qualities that are in us, that are unredeemed, can bring pain and heartache. But those qualities are part of our creation, our making by a masterful creator. And he's redeeming those qualities. He's straightening them out because they have a wonderful, dynamic purpose in the kingdom of God. But as Christians, I believe leaders have been so overwhelmed, maybe even lazy at times, where we just cut stuff out, cut stuff out, and then you end up with a bunch of cut-down Christians that don't have any power. They can't go anywhere. They can't do anything. You can't send them more than a few feet. They're no good to cover any distance to get to their purpose. But if we can stop cutting people down and begin to focus on reconciling the curves and the bends, if we can begin to reject punishment as a solution and embrace discipline as a solution, we can see the world's most powerful generation rise up. A generation of young men and women who haven't been cut down all of their lives so that when they get out into the world, they're so insecure that they're prone to compromise. But we can raise up men and women that are so strong and so, so stable that they can stand in the face of temptation, that they can stand in the face of peer pressure and hold their ground and know that they're loved. Discipline. Disciplines throughout the Scripture. I'll give you a few verses concerning discipline as we close here. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. My son, do not reject discipline. Do not reject the discipline of the Lord. Don't reject His reproof. Now, here's verse 12 here, and this is the one I want us to focus on. For whom the Lord loves, He disciplines. Even as a father corrects, can you hear that word? Can you say corrects? corrects, not punishes, corrects, even as a father corrects the son whom he loves. This is how God reveals his love for you. This is how God reveals his love for me. The introduction of discipline to work out all of those crooked areas, not to cut them out, but to work them out, to straighten them out. It takes time. It takes pressure. It takes focus. God's got time. And he's got all the pressure necessary, I promise you that. And he's very much focused on you. Discipline is a powerful thing. Discipline can define our intelligence. I'll give you a passage of scripture. You're welcome to take this or leave it. I sure don't mean anything sarcastically, but it is the word. Proverbs 12, verse 1. Whoever loves discipline, loves knowledge. Whoever hates discipline is stupid. 
Stupid is what my Bible says, stupid. That's a crazy word, right? You'd think it'd say something softer like unwise. It's unwise. It's like, no, that's stupid. We need to come to a place where we see what it is that God's doing. We just feel the pressure sometimes and just absolutely hate it, and that's normal. Proverbs 13, 18, it reads like this. Poverty, any fans of poverty in here? Poverty should get boos and hisses. Boo, boo. Poverty and shame. Poverty and shame will come. Can you say will come? Will come. See, that's absolute. Not might, not could. Poverty and shame will come to the one who neglects discipline. But the one that regards discipline will be, can you say will be? Will be is absolute too. Honored. Honored. Discipline's a powerful thing. It can affect our intelligence. It can affect our status in life, whether it's impoverished or whether it's prosperous and honored. Coming to a place of loving the discipline of God does something great and incredible in our lives. It straightens us out so that we can get where we're going. But here's what it's going to require from me and from you. This is where it goes from being information to revelation. How do we do it? How do we make it happen? It's going to require you. It's going to require me to trust Him. That's simple. I say simple on purpose because simple isn't always easy. It's simple. Trust Him. Let me give you a passage of Scripture as we begin to close. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And don't lean on your own understanding. I like that it's don't lean, don't curve. But don't lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways, in everything you do, acknowledge Him. Acknowledge Him as what? Acknowledge Him as a Father that is leading you to your purpose, that is with true aim, sending you to the bullseye that is your destiny. In all of your ways, acknowledge Him. And He will. Can you say He will? Oh, that's a good one. He will. Not He might. It's not the odds are in your favor. It's He will. He will make your path straight. Straight. Not crooked. Not perverse. If we can trust Him with our lives, He will work out those things. It will take time. Though I've prayed, God, just take that out of my life. Well, if He cuts it out of my life, I'll be short and weak. I'll be cut down. But if I can allow Him to apply the pressure over time, the heat over time, He will straighten me out so that I can fly true, strong, far. I want to close with a passage of Scripture because I think there's something really powerful here that's easily overlooked. I told you we were going to find out something specific. How to show the world God's deliverance. So that when the world sees you, they see the power of God setting you free. They see the power of God moving your life forward. They see you reaching your destiny. They see you fulfilling your purpose. They see you flying straight to the bullseye that God is sending you towards. Luke chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. Luke chapter 3, verses 4 and 5 is a quote from the Old Testament revealing the work and the labor of John the Baptist before Jesus the Messiah. 
I want to read it to you and I want us to catch something out of it. It reads like this. Make ready the way of the Lord. Make His path straight. Every valley be filled. Every mountain and hill be brought low. The crooked will become straight, the rough road smooth, and then all flesh will see the salvation of God. Look at this. This is our mountain. This is our ravine. What God's calling for is for something to be made straight. To get rid of this, to get rid of this. And to simply have that. As I apply this passage to my life, I realize something. There's mountains in my life. There are things. There's pride and there's arrogance. There's high places. And then there's valleys. There's insecurities and fears and anxieties. Both of those things are as bad as the next. And God is calling me to take all of my prides and my anxieties and surrender them. And He's calling me to trust Him. His authority and His power revealed through Jesus in my life to fill up the voids of anxiety and insecurity so that I become straight. So that I become an arrow that can be usable so that when He pulls me out and He sends me in the direction I'm meant to go, I fly true. He's doing it for you. Because He's not interested in punishing us. He's devoted to disciplining us. To sending us in the way we should go. To working out all of the curves and crookedness until we're perfect. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.